How y'all doing? And welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold and the takes are hot. Episode 46 here today. Um, you know, we're two weeks out from draft day, getting pretty excited. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll get it going here, turn up the heat a little bit. I'll kick it off. We both have draft-related takes. Um, mine's pretty specific, though. Uh, so the Houston Texans, they hold the second overall pick in this year's draft. And it seems like both the Texans and the Panthers like Bryce Young the most. It seems like the Texans like him more than the Panthers do. But unfortunately, they're not picking in that order. Um, Lovey Smith screwed them of that. And I think the Texans, you know, they're bought in a Bryce. I think if Bryce goes one to the Panthers, then the Texans might opt to not select a quarterback because honestly, they're in the position right now where edge rushers thrive. D'Amico is going to love an edge rusher, um, their new head coach coming from San Francisco as the defensive coordinator there. It would make perfect sense. Uh, it'd be a good pick. It'd be the safest pick. And I wouldn't be shocked to see it. While I think quarterback is probably a really good move for D'Amico in terms of team building and stuff like that, having a consistent guy there year in and year out would be really beneficial to that team. They're just in a spot where they need a lot of guys right now. And if Will's the best player available on their board uh, when they're up, I think they should take him. And I wouldn't be too shocked. Obviously, it would be a huge deal, and it would check up the draft a good bit. Um, and I'm sure the Cardinals would love it, even though they wouldn't have a shot at Will. Their pick becomes that more va- that much more valuable. Um, but, yeah, I just think Will's going to go to the Texans. As of now, what I'm hearing and kind of seeing um, – but at the end of the day, you never know. They could still go with whatever QBs remaining as Stroud and Young at two. Uh, but that's just kind of what I'm thinking. And I think it would be really cool to shake up the draft of D. Houston. Uh, you know, a bona fide pass rusher that's his ceiling is as high as anybody's. And, you know, we know how pass rushers do in that system. Just just for one, J.J. Watt. Um, a lot of guys play well there. J.J. Watt really likes the city and all that. Um, obviously, everything he did. Hurricane relief and stuff like that. So um, I think Houston's going to be a good spot for uh, Will if he does go there, and I wouldn't be shocked to see it. Yeah, I mean, there's two schools of two schools of thought, right? It's like uh, you know, obviously Casario, the Casario, the GM's been there a couple of years. Um, you know, obviously D'Amico Ryan's, I think, signals kind of the hey, like we're ready to we're ready to hire a real head coach and start trying to be competitive and there's two schools of thought it's okay well um you know we've got time for a quarterback to work out so we'll take one or the thought process is oh we've got time like we're gonna have like ownership's gonna give us time to get this right like let's wait till next year be really bad again if they feel like the gap between whoever their qb2 is which it sounds like it's cj stroud between the gap between stroud and then caleb williams and Drake May and I and I only say Drake May because Houston can't keep betting on being the worst team in the league. They tried to this year and it didn't work out for them. And I've said this time and time again, somebody's going to there will be one or multiple teams that actively tank to get Caleb Williams next year. You know, whether it's whether it's the Commanders which which I'm I'll I'll hit on later kind of in a later conversation that we have um, or it's the Bucks, or it's the Rams. Like, I don't think it's going to be the Rams because I've kind of alluded to that before, especially on the mock draft earlier in the week. 
um, that we did in the second round. But th- there are teams that are going to actively tank. Like, frankly, Arizona could sit there and they're gonna have they're gonna have the worst roster in the NFL next year, right? They could sit there and go, okay, Kyler could play from weeks 11 on. You know what, Kyler, we're too invested in you. We're going to tell you to sit it out, and we're going to be bad under the guise of, like, oh, I want to get you healthy. And then the Cardinals, very they should get the first pick and take Caleb Williams and trade Kyler Murray to whoever wants him. That's one example. I mean, there's, there's – and I could go down the list, right? I could go down the line. I think there will be teams like potentially Washington or Tampa who could even just move out of the first round entirely for a pick next year to just load up with more picks. Um. You know, we'll see kind of what happens there. But uh, it's interesting. Uh, like you said, you alluded to the system, um, you know, that D'Amico Ryans is going to run. Obviously, look at what happened, what, what what that system did for guys uh, like like Nick Bosa, obviously, who's a who's a a rare talent. But, I mean, you look at the pass rushers that they've had in, in San Francisco and had a lot of success there. So it's not just, it's more than just Nick Bosa. Um, even you look at the pass rush, took an uptick in New York when Robert Sala got to the Jets this year, um, running that exact same system. So I think. You know, there's something to be said for getting a pass rusher in there. And, um, you know, I don't know if I'd call Will Will Anderson a generational talent, but I'd call him a, definitely a blue chipper and a guy who's, I mean, number two on my board. So um, he's a really great player. Um, I just wonder if the time is – if if they're going to be able to get one next year and if the time is really upon us. I do think, you know, Arizona wants to get out of that pick, and, and, I, and I won't try, try not to take too long on this, but if Arizona wants to get out of three – if you're Houston and you go, okay, we'll take CJ at CJ at two, or it's or if it's Richardson, whoever, we're gonna take our guy at two, whoever the quarterback is, and then we're gonna call Arizona and and give him a because here's the thing for Arizona, like yeah, you'd love to move back, you know, one pick, you'd flop with Indy and still get Will Anderson, or maybe flop or maybe go back to seven with with Vegas and still get maybe you get Jalen Carter or Tyree Wilson there. But like I just said, Arizona could be in a position where it may be more advantageous for them to not get a blue chipper right now, a guy who's going to make an impact right now. Maybe they should go get a guy who makes an impact in a couple of years who's maybe got some time to grow. A Nolan Smith, a Miles Murphy, who I don't love there, but the league's high on him, I guess. Or a Lucas Van Ness, or like we've talked about, a Kalijah Kansi, where a guy who could maybe take a year but could be a really impactful defender who would fit in that Jonathan Gannon defensive system. What if they move back to 12? Get a you know, get a second and you, you get what it's like, what, 34 or 33 and a third. I mean, at that point, if I'm if I'm Houston, I'd rather just do that. If I'm ready, to, if I'm ready to compete right now, man, I'll give up 33 to go get Will at three and get my quarterback still. So I think that's another option for them. Um, you know, everything right now, like, I mean, well, like I said, we're two weeks out today from the draft. So everything's kind of a smokescreen. I feel like we're, I, I can't take anything with a with a full you know, everything's with a grain of salt, right? You've got to take everything with um, kind of some some sort of apprehensiveness about whether or not it's true or not. But the the fact that th- this has been kind of a, a, an ongoing conversation for the last couple of weeks, and there are big time draft analysts and big time draft media members who are very connected and very plugged in that are talking about this being a possibility. I think it's something we start looking at for sure and having a conversation about similarly last year is about this time or about the time last year where it felt like Trayvon Walker was going to be the guy at one where it's like, Hey guys, hang on. This is what we're hearing. Let's kind of solidify this. And so I'm not saying it's the same, but um, similar deal. And 
I'll, I'll, I'll try and keep my uh, my hot take short today. Um, but just doing some, you know, a lot of a lot of connections coming out with Jordan Addison and Chargers, like I talked about last week. So did a bunch of tape watch on Addison's uh, 2022 tape, and then wanted to get into his 2021 tape at Pitt. Obviously, when he won the Blitnikoff, and um, he should have either stayed at Pitt or gone to, or which is probably would have been a better choice was to go to an offense that I wouldn't call Lincoln Riley's offense, not a pro style offense, but I wouldn't call it like a pure pro style. Like I wouldn't call it like an Ohio state type offense. Um, I think Addison could have benefited from going to a team that ran a a different offense that would have won, allowed him to work in the slot more and kind of attack the middle of the field. And that's kind of the soft spots of the zone. Whereas I felt like at USC, a lot of times he was an outside receiver, um, a lot of quick game, um, which he did at Pitt, but again, I think he was allowed. They he got force fed the ball more at Pitt, and Lincoln's office just they don't they doesn't really. And it's more like deep down like down the outsides of the field kind of deep shots. Um, it's called like the pro raid, as a lot of people will kind of reference it as. It's like this air raid, pro style air raid, if you will, um, with a lot of inside zone, obviously mixed in with it, and a lot of RPOs. But I just feel like what he did at Pitt, the offense that they ran, better suited him um than the USC offense does. And part of it's the quarterback. Like Caleb wasn't looking at him every play. Frankly, Caleb's best connection and, and most chemistry was with Mario Williams. I thought it was a sophomore, you know, transferred from Oklahoma with Caleb and Lincoln. So um, you know, I get it. I get why he went to USC because money talks and um ultimately it was a business decision as part of it. But um and obviously I don't think he would have gone to Ohio State. It would have been tough to just see the field there with obviously with JSN and and Marvin Harrison Jr. who the Bears wouldn't have traded the first overall pick if that guy was in this class, frankly. <laughs> They'd have just sat there and taken him at one. And you could have probably could have justified it because he's that good. Um I think there are other places you could have gone. Like an like you look at an Alabama. I would have loved to see him in Alabama. That that's a more of a pro style offense or in a team where he would have stepped in and been wide receiver one. Um you think about Georgia, maybe they run they run a lot of twelve and thirteen personnel just with the with the talent they have there. But um and with A.D. Mitchell and Brock Bowers taking a lot of targets, um, I don't know if it makes a ton of sense. But like even like a Clemson was another one that kind of came to mind while I was thinking about it, kind of staying in the ACC. Um, even if we wanted to go to UNC, it, it, you know, another pro-style offense, a pro quarterback there in Drake May, I just think that he would have benefited from staying in an offense that was more similar to what Pitt did than – I mean, you just watch it even with Kenny Pickett. Maybe that was part of it. Maybe Kenny Pickett was most of why the offense ran that way. I didn't watch any – I haven't watched a single – lick of pit offense in 2022 i just haven't watched plenty of their defense watching classic can't see or other teams offenses you know playing their defense but um you know maybe it was picket but when you watch the usc games versus the pit games last year there's just a difference in the tempo which they play sometimes and kind of the, the way in which their plays are just kind of predicated and the way they're designed um and the way that they use jordan was much different uh, at usc than it was at pit so um, when you watch his pit tape, it's like, Ooh, I see it. it. When you watch the USC tape, you go, man, he's a really good hands catcher, good route runner. He's smooth, but it's like, where's the explosiveness? You see it at pit. You hundred percent see it at pit, which is why I'm kind of, I've warmed up to him potentially being a pick at, at, at 21 for the chargers. Although that's, uh, there's been a ton that's come out like today in like the last 12 hours. And, um, I don't know how much I buy it just because, this is a classic like Tom Telesco. Well, we love Christian Watts and we want a receiver at 17 and they took a guard, even though most receivers are gone, like took a guard. So 
you never know. But um, I do think there's a serious connection. A lot of the stuff that I've that I've got is kind of coming from scouts, as well as the fact that you know the receiver coaches now that you know recruited Addison to Pitt and then coached him at Pitt for two years is now the receivers coach with the Chargers. So just a little nugget there. But um, but yeah, Addison should have either stayed at Pitt or gone to an offense that would have used him in a similar fashion that uh, that Pitt did, as opposed to going to USC. Yeah, definitely an interesting point there. I haven't looked too much into wide receivers in the last week and a half. Um, obviously, we'll get to it in a little bit with the Ravens signed Odell Beckham Jr. I think they're going to get another receiver. Um, you know, I want to make it sound like certain. I'd say it's probably like a 70% chance that I get another receiver that's not through the draft. Um, but yeah, definitely some I'll be looking into probably a couple days before the draft if we don't make a move before then um but yeah we'll move into uh nba here playoff preview we had the four play-in games or four of the six play-in games already happened uh it's still going on i believe they're tonight or tomorrow are the last two play-in games um had a couple really good ones i'll start off with the bulls beating the raptors 109 105 uh the bulls are now going to face the heat for the eight seed, so the winner of that game, Bulls versus Heat, will face the Bucks. Um, the Bulls they were down, and you know, in Toronto, came back, played a really good game, and at the end of the day, you know, edged out Toronto. What was a heartbreaker for the Raptors, and fortunately, ended their season. But there was a video uh, compilation of Demar Derozan's daughter yelling or screaming during every Raptors free throw and the Raptors missed like 18 free throws is the funniest thing. But Hey, I guess, I guess it paid off. The reason the Bulls are still playing are because of his daughter. So it's a funny storyline there. Um, yeah, the Bulls have some guys on our team that are, you know, tested and are experienced. So I wouldn't be surprised to give them if they gave the Bucks a series. Yeah, no, I, you know, the Bulls are a team that it's like, um, you know, if they again, if they can get past um, the Heat in that in the, the kind of the second playing game, I like their odds to kind of at least give Milwaukee a series. Although it's ultimately going to be what's the health, what are the health of both teams? Both teams look like going into it. Um, but I'll get the next one. I'll, I'll get the Lakers game. Um, I'll get that one first here. Uh, Lakers beat the Timberwolves in overtime, 108 to 102. Uh, rallied from down 15 in the second half. Um, Dennis Schroeder with a huge. You know, I mean, first it was, it was LeBron getting the inbound pass and um, kind of bringing it up the court and really good dribble drive, um, you know, draws in the defenders, uh, kicks it out to Schroeder, who's wide open in the corner, hits a great shot, uh, wide open three. He sinks it to put him up, uh, to put him up three, and then uh, with like, you know, 1.4 seconds left. And then Timberwolves had an inbound from their side, of the, from the Lakers, I guess in the offensive side of the court for them. Um Throw it in across, you know, across the court to the back corner. Mike Conley takes up what was a t- was not a good shot. I mean, it's what you're gonna get, but wasn't a great shot. Um, AD, I mean, massive boneheaded moment. Um, and it was honestly a really good game for him. He scored 24, had 15 boards, um, three blocks, two steals. I mean, he had a really good game, but um, goes up for a, like jumps up for a contest and and is a pretty clear foul. Um, of course, Conley makes all free, three free throws, which Pascal Siakam could not to tie the game in the Raptors game, like you were mentioning, where the screaming really got to him, apparently, even though he's a professional athlete. But whatever. 
Um, but no, Mike Conley sinks all the free throws to go to OT. And um, Lakers would really control the pace, um, played really good defense in overtime, got a couple quick buckets to start out, and, and kind of were in control the whole way in overtime. Um, and obviously LeBron had a great game, uh, 30 points, 6 assists, 10 rebounds. Um you know, 45 minutes, which is a ton. Obviously, Dennis Schroeder with the big shot, 21 points. Uh, eight for eight from the free throw line, which was huge for him as well. Hit some big free throws late in the game, especially in overtime, as did Rui Hachimura, who had 12 points. Um, just an overall uh, a clean game in the fourth quarter and overtime for the Lakers. Obviously, not a great first half. They were down big in the ha- at the half and then got down pretty big in the middle of the third quarter and kind of kicked it into gear. So, um, they're getting they're getting a Grizzlies team in the in the first round who obviously they secured the seventh seed with the win over the Timberwolves and they're gonna get a Grizzlies team in the first round which I think is actually gonna be a, a decent matchup for them um, as opposed to maybe seeing if they had gotten the one seed seeing the Nuggets would have been tough um, but I think them getting the, a young Grizzlies team is gonna be advantageous for a Lakers team that's really veteran um, you know obviously LeBron it, it doesn't get more seasoned than that Dennis Schroeder. Anthony Davis has been in a lot of playoff games now. Obviously, he won the championship in the bubble. Um, you know, D'Angelo Russell did not play well. <laughs> he went for nine from the field in the playing game, but the guy who's played um, in some playoff games, and then you kind of go on the line. It's 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 less less experience, but um, you know, kind of some vets to be able to play. Tristan Thompson was a late pickup. That that's kind of a guy who's got a lot of veteran experience in the playoffs. So, um, be interesting to see how they match up with with a Grizzlies team that's largely inexperienced and. Um, had a lot of turmoil throughout the season, obviously with John Moran, kind of his off the field or off the field, off the court. Um, I don't even want to call him antics, just um, you know, questionable behavior. Um, may come back to bite him. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but I think it'll be, I think it'll be a good series. Um, you know, in terms of a seven versus two, similar to the series we got, uh, we would have gotten if Anthony Davis was healthy when the Lakers were the seven a couple of years ago against the Suns. So um, should be a good series though. And I'll let you get the other uh, the other playing game here. Yeah, you know, um, that Lakers Timberwolves game was pretty exciting down the stretch, uh, making for a you know fun finish, and ultimately, like you said, going overtime. Uh, Lakers winning by six. Hawks Heat. Uh, the Hawks did come around and beat the Heat one sixteen one hundred five. The Hawks now. Will advance to play the Celtics, uh, two versus seven in round one. The Heat, uh, basically everyone picked them to win. You know the Hawks kind of falling apart, but they, you know, they came together for this game. We'll see if it stays true in the, you know, series they have coming up with the Celtics playing such a good team so many games in a row. Um, but yeah, I mean the Hawks looked like how they should have the whole year. Um, you know, should have been a top four seed. In the East, and we're really at danger of missing the play, and um, until the last week or so when they won a couple. But yeah, big win for them um, to get to the series, and I mean they have no reason not to play well. It's just kind of a mismanagement from the coaching staff and just from the players uh, not quite gelling as they thought they would. Yeah, I mean, figure it takes some time for them, but I mean, tail of two teams, which you know the Hawks had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players in double figures where. The Heat were kind of carried. Obviously, Lowry had 33, Tyler Hero with with 26, Jimmy Butler with 21. Everybody else was under five, under six points, other than Damian Bam Adebayo, who had 12 points. Who, you know, Bam's not really really a scorer. He's more of a, you know, get around 12 a game with nine boards and play really good defense. So, um, you know, nobody else really playing that well offensively is not great. Obviously, a team that relied heavily upon 
you know, Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry throughout the season. Um, you know, we'll see if they can kind of how they fare against the Bulls. Obviously, two fairly different different teams. I think the Heat will be widely picked to beat the Bulls, but I mean, Bulls are scrappy. The Heat just feel like they haven't been able to get it just get it together, right? I mean, they made the run late to get make sure they got in the play in, but it's like um, it just feels like they've been a team all year that that hasn't quite gotten over the hill in terms of being competitive at a, at, a, at a, an efficient and at a consistent clip. Um, that should be a good game. Uh, them and the Bulls, I believe, tomorrow is when they're playing those two games. Um, and then the final uh, West, the second Western Conference playing game, the Oklahoma City Thunder beat the New Orleans Pelicans 123 to eight to 118. Um, so the so the Thunder will play the Timberwolves for the eight seed. Um, kind of what I expected to happen. Um, obviously, Shy's playing really well. Pelicans, no Zion, obviously still kind of a team that just. Never really felt like they were going to be, um, I mean, even getting the playoffs, let alone, you know, they get to the play in and they, even if they were to win this game, get a win too. I, Pelicans, I don't know. I, I was, I thought it was not great for the NBA. They got in over the Mavs. Obviously, that's just how it works, but, um, really would have liked to see the Mavs get in over the, over the, the Pelicans team who was, you know, after the hot start when, when Zion got hurt, we're just largely dysfunctional for kind of the, the back half of the season. So, um, you know, sucks. Sucks the Mavs got in or didn't get in. Uh, you know, over the Pelicans, but um, kind of how it is. Yeah, tough look for the Pelicans. Um, didn't really put it together all season, and ultimately ends up with them missing the playoffs. So, pretty much it for the play-ins. And you know, looking at the East Con- Eastern Conference, we have four playoff matchups. We got the number one Bucks versus the winner of the Heat versus Bulls. Like you said, he probably win that, but you just never know. Um, Bulls have a fair share of experience as well. We have the number two Celtics versus number seven Hawks. Number three, 76ers versus number six Nets. And the number four Cavs versus the number five Knicks. You know, thinking about who we're going to pick in that series, I'm probably going to go the higher seeds just because one, the Bucks would have won it last year if they were healthy and they had Chris Middleton. Two, I feel like got to go to the Celtics because they had all that experience, obviously. They've kept their pre- pretty much their whole roster and they won the distance last year. Three 76ers, I mean, Joel Embiid's definitely MVP candidate, uh, probably win it. And four versus five, Cavs versus Knicks. Um, that could be a really good series. I don't think that the Cavs. We'll lose the series just having home court advantage on the first two games at home will be huge for them. But I definitely think they'll come out on top. So I'm going, you know, Bucks are going to face the Cavs in the second round, and then Sixers will face the Celtics. Yeah, getting all the same picks as you here going um, Bucks, Celtics, 76ers, and Cavs. I just, the Bucks feel like they could maybe get a series from from a seven seed uh, or from an eight seed. I just don't think it's going to happen. Celtics again can maybe get a series from from the Hawks. I just I think they're too complete of a team. Seventy um, Sixers. I just the Nets are so depleted. I, don't, I mean the Nets kind of squeaked in a, kind of a weaker Eastern Conference. I felt like kind of at the back end. So um, then that'll be maybe even a sweep with the Seventy Sixers looking as good as they do. And Cavs next. I I thought the Knicks. I didn't want to pick. You know, straight chalk for all of them. But at the end of the day, I just the Cavs are really, really talented. 
Um, the Knicks are a team that just can never get over the hump in the playoffs, it feels like, and so um, can never get past the round one. Uh, and I just like the Cavs roster kind of built out better than I do um, that of the Knicks. So I'll go uh, same picks as you, Bucks, Celtics, 76ers, and Cavs. Um, then going to the Western Conference here, uh, Nuggets, we'll see the winner of the Timberwolves and Thunder game, uh, I believe, again, tomorrow night. Um, got the Grizzlies versus the seven-seeded Lakers, the three-seeded Kings versus the six-seeded Warriors, and the four-seeded Suns versus the five-seeded Clippers. Um, I guess I'll, I'll do my picks first right here, and then I'll let you get into it. Um, taking the Nuggets over the Timberwolves, Thunder winner. Um, Nuggets have been the best team in the West all year. It's not really been close. So um, I'll go Nuggets to beat. Frankly, both of those teams don't have a big to defensively stop Jokic. I know Cat can score, but Cat ain't playing a he ain't playing enough defense to stop to stop Jokic. Um, and Chet's a rookie; it's just not gonna happen for him. So, um, Grizzlies versus Lakers. I'm going Lakers. I'm taking the experience. I mean, this is a homer pick, and I mean, I'm I'm okay saying that. So, but give me the Lakers. Give me the experience. Um, you know, I think a team that. Uh, you know, defensively got a lot better with the addition of Jared Vanderbilt. So hopefully that kind of shows. I don't think that the Dylan Brooks antics are going to get to the Lakers that they do a lot of other teams. You see a lot of teams kind of get flustered by Dylan Brooks and the stuff he does with these, whether it's on the floor or on the bench, kind of just the antics and the instigation that he, I think he gets when a lot of teams has, I don't think he's going to get the Lakers heads. I think uh, really solid ground with the leadership on that team and um, a lot of playoff experience will kind of ground him there. Kings versus Warriors. Uh, I'm taking the Warriors. No disrespect to the Kings, but, I mean, come on. They're not a three seed. They're a three seed this year because the West wasn't great, and the, the West was very hurt this year. I mean, the Lakers were hurt. Warriors were hurt. Suns were hurt. Brother, I'm just not taking the Kings to beat the Warriors in a playoff series until I, I – I'll see it when I believe it. I think it could go six or seven, but, I mean, Steph's one of the best of all time. He's one of the greatest players of all time. Top, He's, you know, probably, what, a top 15 player in the NBA history. So, until – until he can't do it anymore, I'm not going to pick against him against the Kings team. That while they're while they're solid, they, they play. They were in some some tighter. They won a lot of close games, and I actually think against the Warrior, a, war, a really good Warriors squad that's that's maybe the most seasoned uh, playoff team in this whole in this whole thing um, is going to get it done against the Kings. And then Suns Clippers going Suns uh, as long as they're healthy and Kevin Durant's healthy, they're they they, they probably won that in either sweep or in five games. I think. Yeah. I, in terms of the four series, I, I'm going Nuggets over what I think will be the Timberwolves, and I think it could be a good series, but I just think the Nuggets, their star power mixed with their depth is the reason they're the number one seed most of the season. Um, number two, Grizzlies, I think will win it, and I think should have a good series. Um, you know, the Lakers do have experience, but I think the matchup is really good. The Grizzlies did have experience um, fairly recently, losing to the Warriors last year in the second round, and then I believe the year before they went to the conference finals. I can't remember. Um, and then three seed Kings or six seed Warriors. Just in terms of the Warriors, all their experience, they have Steph. They pretty much have everyone since this dynasty started. Uh, it seems like they still have all the main guys. Going with them. And then four seed Suns or five seed Clippers. I was pretty close to picking the Clippers um, just from a consistency standpoint. The Suns, I think, while they obviously made it to the Western Conference Finals last year, they have KD now. I don't know if if they're fully healthy, if they beat the Clippers, and the Clippers are a pretty good team. They were fairly consistent this season. And I'm picking the Suns to win it because I think they will have enough, health, 
enough health to get him over the hump for this series at least. But I uh, wouldn't be shocked to see the Clippers win this series. So I'm going to be Nuggets and Suns and Grizzlies versus Warriors in the second round. No, I, again, justification for those picks. I like them. So um, should be good. I'm hoping we get some really good series in the first round. I know sometimes we kind of get a lot of four, a lot of five, a lot of six, you know, a lot of four and five game series. Hopefully we get a bunch of six and sevens. Um, hopefully some upsets too. I know we picked chalk for the Eastern Conference and um, picked, a, you know, picked a couple upsets in the West, but hopefully we get uh, a couple more upsets in the East as well. Um, that kind of wraps it up for the NBA. I know we're going to have, um, NBA, I mean, still have an update next week for the playoffs and all that stuff, but um, that kind of wraps up this week. We're going to get to golf here, and I'll let you kind of um, tee us off, if you will, for golf, uh, recapping the Masters. Yeah, for sure. Um, so last weekend we did have the Masters, uh, biggest event of the year, prestigious event. It is played at Augusta National Golf Club in Augusta, Georgia, basically on the Georgia-South Carolina border. Um, really eventful four days. You know, even a week, really, when you look at the par three contests on the Wednesday and all the guys playing their practice rounds and hanging out on the property, you know, Monday, Tuesday, as they come in from the previous tournament or from elsewhere. Um, as for the tournament itself, four day event, the Spaniard, John Rahm, he won the event at 12 under and took home 3.24 million. Brooks Kepka, who was a part of the Live Tour, he had the 54 hole lead and was playing really well. Um, he was 13 under at one point, uh, but he dropped, I believe, to eight under and shot a final round three over 75, uh, dropped him to a tie for second finish. Across the weekend, there were 12 rounds that were under 68 over the four days with the lowest score 65 coming from four different guys and John Rahm. Brooks Kepko, Victor Hovland, and Phil Mickelson, who played really, really well on Sunday, who finished tied for second as well at 52 years old. So him and Kepka tied for second. A um, couple of live guys, you know, Phil chasing that fifth green jacket to tie Tiger for second most all time behind Jack Nicholas, who has six. Really eventful weekend. Uh, a lot of fun golf. The most golf I've watched in one tournament this season. Uh, you know, watched a good, good bit every day and was just really excited. The quality of golf maybe wasn't where it should have been or where people thought it would be. And I think that was in part due to the weather. Um, you know, you look at Saturday and Sunday and it was pretty rough. The later rounds on Sunday got um, some good weather, but overall the weather wasn't great on Saturday and Sunday. And I think that led to some Higher scoring across the board, um, ultimately with the winner shooting 12 under. Yeah, I mean, it, overall, it was kind of a weirder Masters. Obviously, we had the rain delay and twice had, uh, what, round two suspended play, and then they resumed, and then um, obviously had to finish round three Sunday morning. So definitely a weirder Masters. Um, felt like it kind of messed up kind of the, the rhythm of a lot of guys, um, especially going into the start of round four. Kind of having to start over a little bit. Um but overall, like you said, um, it was a, overall a really fun event. I thought it was um, kind of kept it interesting. Obviously, you had Phil shoot a 65 on the final day um, to get him in there tied at second at 52 years old is is crazy. Um, you know, I thought it was cool that Brooks was in there and, and played well coming from the live tour. I think it helped. Um, you know, I think it was good for golf. And I think the other thing that 
kind of was pointed out um, a few times was guys weren't talking about Liv versus PJ. It was like, oh, who, who do you think is going to win? Or like, how's everyone like, how did this guy shoot today? Or, you know, where is he on the course? It, it, the narrative really wasn't PJ versus Liv, which I was really glad to see. I was a little bit worried. We may get some of the media outlets kind of trying to push that narrative a little bit, and they didn't, um, which was really cool. So, um, and, and the players wouldn't seem to have an issue. I think the only real awkwardness or issue that there was was with, you know, Phil kind of being around the other elder statesmen, um, you know, Tiger, Rory, that are still at the PGA. Um, kind of the one guy you can kind of say it's lame that he left. Everyone else it's like, okay, whatever, like, go get the bag. But you know, with Phil, it was like, Phil started with the PGA. Phil's 52 years old. Does he need the money? Does he blah, 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 whatever. So, um, but I think it was, it was nice to see everybody, you know, all the elite golfers in the world back on the same course, um, competing at the same time, obviously looking forward to the rest of the majors. Um, and I'm happy for John Rahm, um, you know, getting his first, getting his first masters, obviously won, uh, us open a couple of years ago, getting his first major. So halfway to the career grand slam. Don't know if he ever gets it. Maybe he does It'd be cool to see. Um, but for guys, I'm playing a lot of really, really good golf lately. Um, hadn't necessarily been able to close out um, at a lot of big tournaments. We're glad to see him, um, you know, close really close really strong. Had a really great, um, a really great back nine. And I thought finished, you know, finished his day really really strong. Didn't didn't feel the pressure too much. Um, wasn't the moment wasn't too big for him. So um, really cool to see Rom win it. Um, cool to see Brooks be competitive the way he was. Obviously would have hoped for a couple other guys. Um, like a Rory to be competitive, maybe win his first Masters, that kind of thing. But um, but yeah, I mean, it was a really, really fun tournament. Obviously, it was a little bit weird uh, with the delays and stuff, but overall, um, really good time. Um, some really impressive scores, really impressive, you know, days. And obviously, um, old buddy from A&M having one of the best amateur days ever on the Masters. I mean, or ever, ever on tour at the Masters. So um, really, really cool to see that. Um, you know, kind of a funny moment, kind of during the master ceremony where they have like the best amateur out there and they, you know, they bring him in for the green. Or obviously he leaves and they put the green jacket on, on Rom, but he was in there, you know, to talk to him and, and Scotty, see Scotty was in there as former Longhorn. And, um, well, you know, when they asked, I'm going to forget his name, but they asked him about, you know, Hey, like you've got like the Aggie open or whatever, like, to, or like the Aggie invitational tomorrow. It's like, it was what he's got to play like 36 holes where he's got to carry his own clubs. And when he said the, when the, um, when they said Aggie Invitational, like Scotty kind of, kind of, kind of snickered a little bit, kind of laughed, um, chuckled, and then, and then when he said you got to carry your own bags, Rom was like, "Man, are you kidding me? Like, what, what are we doing here?" Kind of give like a little, a little like laughing scoff at it, um, which was, which was funny, I thought. But um, overall, it was really cool, um, really good tournament, like I said, um, and looking forward. Hopefully, the, you know, the other majors this year kind of have the same, um, kind of hype and live up to the hype that the Masters did. Hoping maybe we get like a little. Like two guys tied going into 18, maybe that would be cool at the open or the U S open would be cool. But, um, either way, great masters. Uh, hopefully it's, it's a sign of things to come. Um, you know, for the next, the next three majors as we go out through off season. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, you know, Sam, uh, the amateur Sam Bennett, he said, yes, he was going to play 36 holes the next day and he ended up not playing, he ended up showing up, but not playing. Um, you know, hang with his friends from the team and stuff like that. But nonetheless, really cool story. I think he was eight under after the first two rounds or something like that. And, you know, I had a good interview and, you know, fell back to, I think, two under um, in terms of where he finished after the four rounds. So a rough weekend for him, but nonetheless, um, a lot of fun memories. Winning the low amateur at the Masters, never easy. 
got a little trophy, a nice trophy for him. And at the end of the day, it was all fun because he couldn't have taken home any money anyway. So uh, really, really fun weekend with a lot of storylines. We're looking forward to the Masters next year. And as for where we're at right now in the season, this weekend, kicking off today, we have the RBC Heritage at Harvard Town Golf Links in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. Only about a two and a half hour drive for those that were playing in Augusta at the Masters. The purse is $20 million, uh, so we'll be a bigger payout than the Masters. And Jordan Spieth won the event last year. The winner of this will take home $3.6 million, as that is 18% of the pot. But through round one, uh, Victor Hovland is staying hot from his really uh, successful weekend at the Masters. I think, obviously, there's some shots he would like to have back. But played really, really well at the Masters. And through round, run, round one at... Harbortown, he is in first at seven under, shooting a 64. Um, multiple people tied for six and five under, but everyone's right there. Um, not an easy golf course, but one of the easier ones on tour. So it should be another fun weekend. A lot of traditions there that they have at the RBC Heritage. And yeah, I mean, fun part of golf season right now. Obviously, the Masters just wrapped up. We still have three more majors. Obviously, the Tour Championship, BMW Championship. FedEx Cup standing, stuff like that. Um, so a lot to look forward to, and we're just getting going here. Yeah, um, be good to see. Like you said, Victor Hovland had a great Masters. Kind of keep it going here. Um, obviously, seven under uh, kickoff tournament uh, in the lead now. But good to be good to see him um, kind of carry that over, and hopefully, kind of carries it over into win, which would be cool. Um, yeah, next weekend we got the Zurich Classic of New Orleans at TPC Louisiana in Avondale, Louisiana. Um, Smaller event, obviously it's not the Masters or anything like that. Um, should be fun though. Obviously, um, you know, hopefully, we'll, hopefully most guys are playing. I know a couple of guys uh, taking this weekend off with the Masters last weekend. Everyone should be back next week, I would assume. Um, so yeah, kind of be interesting to see. Um, hope, like I said, I don't, I don't know, I don't think it was many guys that are missing this week's tournament. A lot of guys withdrew. Um, you know, after round, after round three got stopped on saturday um a lot of guys will end up with a drawing so i think mo- more guys than normal are playing this weekend this weekend's tournament um a couple guys maybe out of it but so hopefully everyone's back next weekend for a good um you know good good weekend of golf yeah for sure um a lot of guys really like zurich more than a lot of other events just because of the format of it obviously we have the dell match play that's played in austin i guess this was the final year but a match play format that will be played somewhere else next year and then for this event, um, Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley won it last year as it's a pairing event, and it has an alternate round four-ball and foursome format. So the Thursday and Saturday rounds, the first and third, feature an alternating shot four-ball. So basically one guy had a shot, and another guy hits the approach, and then one guy hits the first putt, other guy hits the second putt. So you see some really, really low scores. Don't be surprised to see guys at like 30 under on Sunday and stuff like that. And then the foursome format is basically everyone plays their own ball and they take the best scores. So a little more simpler there for the second and fourth rounds on Friday and Sunday. But nonetheless, a really fun event and definitely be watching always a high quality golf with a pretty good field um, showing up to that event. That pretty much wraps up the uh, golf segment. We have college baseball and NFL left on the slate. 
But first, college baseball. Uh, we're not going to talk about MLB this week just because everyone's still so clumped together in both the stats and the standings that we'll kick that off next week. Uh, we're only about 13 games into the season. But nonetheless, some good quality of baseball professionally uh, to this point. A lot of fun storylines. A lot of guys starting out hot. Uh, some guys starting out colder than expected. But pretty good season so far. But as for college, in terms of recaps last weekend, I know we made some predictions. I don't remember what all our predictions were. But in terms of the series we talked about, uh, number one, LSU, and number six, South Carolina, kind of headlined the weekend. They split the first two games. Game three ultimately was canceled due to weather. Um, they nearly didn't get game two in, but luckily they did. Uh, South Carolina was winning that one, and then LSU came back to even the series after South Carolina won the opener. I know we both picked LSU, I believe, but nonetheless, exciting series. And I wish we could have seen the finale. Um, Wait, you never know. We could see it in the SEC tournament as there's just so many teams and so many games to be played. Yeah, no, for sure. Two more SEC teams here with um, number three, Florida, took the series from number 16, Tennessee, um, who went who dropped from 11 to 16 after that series loss. Um, Florida, Florida looks really good. Obviously, the SEC has got, you know, one, five, three. Um, you can go down the line a little bit there. Obviously, six South Carolina. So, um, like you said, ton of ton of baseball to be played there still. Um, any sort of matchups in the SEC tournament, and then obviously getting into, you know, I'm sure we're gonna have an SEC team that doesn't host a regional. Um, that's in, you know, the LSU regional or goes to the LSU Super that, you know, could give them a could give them a series. So that's kind of the crazy part about um, you know, kind of the way that Power Pop conferences are sometimes when they get stacked up like this, like the SEC is. So. Um, but yeah, two more SEC teams there. Like I said, Florida beating uh, Tennessee, dropping them five spots to 16, and Florida kind of maintaining hold at three there. Yeah, another big series that we had there, and just a gauntlet of SEC baseball. Um, you know, another one was number five Arkansas. They beat Ole Miss, who you know obviously won the national championship last year. It's normally pretty good, but they're I believe second to last in SEC right now ahead of Mississippi State. Uh, but yeah, tough, tough series and season so far for Ole Miss. But they started slow last year, so maybe they'll heat up again here pretty soon. But Arkansas looks pretty good. Um, not many holes on that roster, and always a you know perennial powerhouse across college baseball. So another fun series there in the SEC. Um, but yeah, not shocked to see number five Arkansas take that series. Isn't it crazy that the last two national champions we had, um, Mississippi State and Ole Miss, are yeah. from the SEC? And now they're now they're, right now they're the bottom two teams in the SEC. Isn't that crazy? So, just yeah. shows the gauntlet that is SEC baseball. Um, there's there's literally there's no weeks off. There's no weeks off for them. Um, even the midweeks they got to play legit like decent decently legit teams. So, no weeks off in the SEC. Um, obviously. Elite talent across the board there. Um, best player in baseball is in the SEC on LSU. So um, lo- tons of loaded rosters there, but kind of keeping it pushed and getting into the ACC here. Um, number seven, number seven, Virginia swept Miami, um, who was ranked number 20 going into the weekend. Um, kind of came out unranked after they got swept by Virginia. But Virginia team that's hot. They played really good. Right, they're playing really good baseball right now. Um, got a couple sluggers in that team. They're, they're, I believe they are in the top. Are they play, I think they're in the top 10 in the country in home runs, if I'm not mistaken. That may have been – I may have seen that stat wrong or read it wrong in terms of team, but I thought it was them that I saw that's top 10 in, in, in like, Power so. 5, D1, um, like, in, in homers, which is pretty crazy. So um, they're hitting the ball really, really well right now. 
um, really good pitching. And it seems like Virginia's always just got a really solid team. So another year in the ACC where Virginia um, trying to make a run for the top. Yeah, for sure. Virginia looks really good. Uh, Miami a little bit cold right now, but nonetheless a really, really good team as well. Should jump back into the rankings fairly soon. Number 10, Louisville, who was number 18 last week. They swept a number nine Boston College. And Boston College only dropped two spots, surprisingly, um, after going 0-3 in Louisville. Um, nonetheless, a really, really impressive weekend from the Cardinals and you know Boston College obviously having to travel was always tough in college baseball. A lot of teams don't play well on the road. And seeing the sweep's pretty impressive, but I'm not too surprised just because it's a road series and Louisville is always really good in baseball. Um started out cold this year, but nonetheless have come on strong and are really, really looking good in the ACC right now. Yeah, ACC's loaded, man. They obviously Wake Forest is sitting at number two and we'll and we'll get to their big series this week, but um or I guess this upcoming week. ACC is loaded too, man. I know we talk about the ACC all the time, and um, but you got to you got to look at the ACC with number two ranked team, the number seven ranked team, the number ten ranked team, the number eleven ranked team. Um, so they've got a lot of really talented baseball teams out there. Obviously Miami, um, you know, not having a great year, but a really solid program. I think North Carolina can say the same about Duke's always solid. So um, obviously Florida State started the year as a top ten team and kind of fizzled out lately. Their you know their bats have not been hitting the ball super super well as of late, but um, you know another team that's really solid and. Like I said, North Carolina at 13, so ton of talent in the ACC. Um, getting here back to the Big 12, though. Uh, formerly unranked TCU jumping at 25 after this weekend, uh, beating the beating Oklahoma State, I believe. Were they in Stillwater or were they on the were they in Fort Worth? They were at Fort Worth. That's right. Um, that's what I thought. I wanted to make sure they didn't get a road a road series win, but um, only dropping Oklahoma State two spots from uh. 16 to 18, but a, nonetheless, a really good conference series win for TCU and a Big 12 that feels feels they don't they don't have a national contender, but it feels like they got a lot of teams kind of in that 16 to 20 or 30 range, probably 30. Um, they just feel like really solid baseball teams that can give anybody a game um, and could be kind of a threat. Maybe I don't know if I don't know if the Big 12 is going to host a regional this year. Obviously, the you know college baseball loves Texas and they, they always want to have a regional in Austin. Don't know if it's going to happen this year. Um, but nonetheless, like the Big 12 feels like a team that where if you get one of these Big 12 teams like Texas Tech or TCU or Oklahoma, Texas kind of on your West Virginia, too. We got to talk about them as well. So if you get one of those kind of Big 12 teams, that's a top you know 30 program in your region as a, as, a, as a host. You're kind of shaking in your boots a little bit. So should be interesting to kind of see how that kind of shakes out. Um, we get into late May, but um, really solid series there from Oklahoma State and TCU this weekend, this past weekend, I should say. Yeah, for sure. I actually watched a good bit of that, um, you know, after the Masters, so I concluded for the day. Flipped over some college baseball when Tech wasn't playing because their schedule was a little weird last weekend. TCU lost the opener by one and then won the final two, so pretty good series for them there at home. Oklahoma State uh, not playing too well right now, but nonetheless, still ranked 18th. Uh, Big 12 is pretty good, like you said. Moving on to the Pac-12, Oregon State beat Oregon, and Oregon is now unranked as Oregon State tries to still climb their way back into the rankings. Big series win on the road for Oregon State. Um, you know, obviously a very storied baseball program. Kind of the leader out west, them and Stanford in terms of history. Um, you know, UCLA is pretty good as well. Oregon State recently won the Natty, and they look pretty good, but they do have some more holes this year as they normally do. So ultimately just trying to get back into the rankings and hopefully having a two seed in the regionals. Yeah. Um... 
like you said, story, storied program, looking to kind of get back in the ranks here. Um, looking for them to get hot down the stretch for sure, kind of in the latter Pac-12 play. Um, number 21, Texas Tech, who jumped from 22 to 21, just up one spot after beating North Dakota State this weekend. And kind of a weird uh, weird series timing-wise, obviously, North Dakota State is going to be a Thursday series with, with uh, Texas Tech traveling, or I guess with Easter on Monday and then Texas Tech, or Easter on Sunday, and Texas Tech traveling to Palo Alto to play Monday, um, to play Stanford in a midweek. Kind of a weird schedule. We're going to play Thursday through Saturday. Um, and then North Dakota State got stuck in North Dakota with some weather on Thursday, a snowstorm. Uh, and then they were supposed to play Friday at 2. They got delayed again, leaving North Dakota, North Dakota, so they had to play at 7 on Friday. Um, Tech got rolled 8-1 to one and then bounced back the next day with a doubleheader where they won both games, I believe, 8-5 to five and 8-3. to three. So two dominating performances in the back-to-backs on um, kind of on the on the uh, doubleheader day on Saturday, but um, kind of a weird start for them. Um, it felt like kind of a fluky game on Friday night. Um, yeah, I watched a good portion of it kind of at home. Um, and I was home for the weekend for Easter, but just kind of like I said, kind of, it felt like kind of a fluky game for them. Um, like they were kind of groggy a little bit. If, I don't know why, but for some reason they felt like they were a little bit groggy on Friday and kind of picked it up the next two days, the next two games, and the next day. Um, but yeah, no, Texas Tech nonetheless they get a series win over over North Coast State. Um, definitely would have liked to see them sweep just a, an opponent like that um, with not a great record and in, in D two, but. Nonetheless, the series wins the series winning college baseball, and you kind of keep it pushing and go to the next. Yeah, it was tough. Uh, yeah, I believe it was 8 1 on Friday night, and yeah. I think Tech only had like four hits or something like that. It's a really disappointing season or game. Uh, I think it was the first game of the season that Kevin Bazell, third baseman, did not reach base. And yeah, not too much to it, just a bad game off night um, for them. Their starter, Brennan Gurton, didn't pitch too well either. But nonetheless, like you said, good bounce back on Saturday to sweep the doubleheader. And then they flew to Palo Alto on Monday, or on Sunday, I guess, and played number eight Stanford on a Monday, Tuesday, kind of midweek two-game series. Lost the first game six to four after being up four nothing in the second inning. Um, you know, they scored four in the second and nothing else. So pretty poor offensively overall. And then Tuesday they came out and won 11 to two and what was a great game all around obviously by the score I mean 11 runs against the eighth best team holding them to only two runs really really good game on the road there and giving you some momentum going into a big conference series on the road in Norman Oklahoma this weekend yeah I mean talk about a tale of two games um for the Red Raiders I mean obviously you put up four in the second inning uh looks really promising you can go four nothing like that and then to not, you know, they, they they put a couple of runners on base, but to not play the runner the rest of the day and, um, you know, give up the lead and go up and you lose six to four is tough. Um, but nonetheless, a great bounce back game the next game where they roll what was it eleven to three or something like that. Or I think the final score was, was eleven to eleven. That's right, eleven to two. Um, you know, it's a great bounce back day. Really good to see them put up a lot of runs against a a quality Stanford baseball team again, ranked eighth, ranked eighth in the country for a reason. Um. You know, be curious to see how they fare this weekend, um, you know, going up to Eugene and then um, kind of curious to see how Tech does against Oklahoma, kind of see how those two teams kind of move in the rankings. Um, but on the lesser, I think a quality split for Texas Tech would have liked to see them sweep both of them, considering that they easily could have won the first game. But nonetheless, I'll take a dominant win uh, and, and a tight loss versus, um, you know, getting swept or or, anything, or just a normal, you know, two, you know, a, t- a tight win and a tight loss. So or kind of a tight win and a blowout loss like Stanford had. So I'll take what Tech got over what they got at any, every day of the week and um, 
got to keep pushing and keep, you know, one game at a time on the road and keep trying to stack up road wins. Obviously, it's their first, like, official, like, away team win. Obviously, in Houston, the guy they won a game, but that's kind of a neutral site, considered a neutral site game there for them. So good to see them pick up road win number one and just got to keep stacking them. Got to got to keep performing on the road um, to gain the respect of the committee to get a, to get a regional host fight, which would be really cool. But, um, again, got to keep stacking them one by one. Yeah, it's going to be really tough for them to host a regional. Um, they would have to do something pretty special uh, over the remainder of the season. But nonetheless, it starts with a series victory this weekend. At the least, um, probably going to have to have a couple sweeps in there as well. But try to keep this next section short. A uh, big series that we have this weekend. We have eight series. Uh, we already mentioned the Tech at Oklahoma. I'll, I'll go with Tech, um, you know, the big win. And I think they'll play really well. Oklahoma does play really well at home, though. And they did lose a lot of guys from the national championship runner-up team last year. But nonetheless, I think Tech will play pretty well. Um, hopefully, they have pitching to keep up as Oklahoma. You know, they lost tomorrow, so they still have really good pitching this year when you think about how much they lost. Um, but a couple big series. We have 12 Kentucky at 1 LSU. I'm going LSU. And then Miami, who just dropped out of the rankings, going to UNC to play North Carolina, who's ranked number 13. I'll go UNC. So pick and chalk for the three series I've talked about so far, but should be a big weekend of college baseball. Yeah, I'm going Tech, Oklahoma. Um, I hate to do this, but I'm going to pick Oklahoma. They're, they they play really well in Norman. I'm not going to pick Texas Tech to win on the road until they can. I'd love to see them do it, and I'm, I'm hoping that kind of with this pick, it's like, hey, pick against them maybe they can kind of get kind of get right on the road now um but i'll pick oklahoma kind of to uh, i guess reverse psychology in the universe if you will maybe it works maybe it doesn't but i'll go oklahoma to beat tech on the road or at home i should say i'll take lsu to beat kentucky and baton rouge that environment is is second to none dude i mean when they they pack them in they pack them in and it's crazy um and i'll also take north carolina at home against a slumping miami team Making a road trip up to Raleigh is not going to be easy, so I'll go North Carolina there as well. And then I've um, got a couple more series here. Oh, we'll go, uh, what is it? We got uh, what's this, five left. So um, Wake Forest travels to Louisville. Um, number two, Wake Forest travels to number 10, Louisville. Should be a great series. Um, man, I'm going to go Wake. with. A, I think Wake makes a statement this weekend. I think, I think they solidify themselves as like a legit top two team, top three team in the country. Uh, would be a, It's going to be a really tough series. I, I want to pick Louisville to win because they're in – they're at home. They're in Louisville. It's a very tough place to play. But I, I'm going to take Wake as like a kind of a, a statement win, statement series win for them. And then South Carolina, number six, South Carolina, traveling to uh, Nashville to take on number four, Vanderbilt. Um, I'll go Vanderbilt, although South Carolina's performance really surprised me um, this past weekend in, in game one, taking one from LSU. But in Nashville, again, really another electric environment. Um, Tim Corbin team always seems to play up against, you know, highly ranked opponents as well, whether they're ranked higher than them or not. I'm going to go with Vanderbilt um, and what I think is going to be a really tight two to one series win for them. Yeah, I mean, got to be a fun time to be a Louisville college student that likes baseball. Last weekend, you hosted number nine, Boston College. This weekend, you host number two team, Wake Forest. So back to back weekends hosting a top 10 team. I'm going with Louisville. Win two games to one. Wake has two really, really good starters and a good reliever. Um, but I think Louisville can get to one of those guys, ultimately taking the series and losing the other one, and then winning the matchup where Wake's kind of throwing their lesser starter of the three out there. And then six, South Carolina at four, Vandy. Going to go South Carolina. They look really good um, at one of the best offenses in the country right now. And I think 
Vanderbilt doesn't normally have doesn't have the pitching this year that they normally do. They have a good reliever. Um, but outside of that, not nearly the prospects that they normally have. I think that's due in part to the transfer portal and NIL and stuff like that. And then they just can't pay everybody. So they got the guys they wanted, but a lot of the guys I would think they wish they had went elsewhere. And I think their pitching suffered more than anything. Their offense is still pretty good. It's just South Carolina's offense is nuclear right now. And I think they're going to go to Vandy and take the series win. Um, three more here. We already kind of covered eight Stanford at Oregon. I think Stanford's going to win it. I, you know, Oregon coming off a series loss to Oregon State, like we mentioned a minute ago. Going to go eight Stanford to win two of three. And we have Ole Miss at Mississippi State, battle of the you know worst two teams in SEC right now. So not a, not a huge series, but you know the past two defending champions match up in Mississippi. A lot of storylines to this one, and they still both have a ton of prospects, really good players on those teams. So nonetheless, it's not lacking any talent per se. It's just teams are kind of underperforming so far. But someone's got to win the series. So I'm going Ole Miss. I think they just have guys that can do a little more. Um, you know, day in and day out. I think Mississippi State changes their lineup pretty frequently, trying to find something that'll stick. And I think Ole Miss will come through with the guys that are experienced, obviously the defending champs. Lastly, 16 Tennessee at five Arkansas. I'm, I think I'm going to go Tennessee here. I know Tennessee just lost a series to Florida, and Arkansas just beat Ole Miss. But I'm going to go Tennessee here on the road um, in Fayetteville. To beat Arkansas in what's one of the more fun environments in college baseball. And the Tennessee has experience, you know, they were the one seed pretty much the whole year last year, ultimately um, flaking out, and I believe it's super. But nonetheless, I'm picking Tennessee to upset Arkansas. A lot of upsets this weekend. Uh, I'll, go, I'll go Arkansas at home. Um, big series, but I'll go Arkansas at home. Uh, I'll go Ole Miss as well because Mississippi State looks like an absolute dumpster fire if you've not been following college baseball. They've been – I mean, I can't even describe how bad they've been. I mean, they lost, like, what, 20 straight games or something like that? I mean, they've been a dumpster fire this year. I mean, they've been terrible, so I'm, I'm definitely picking Ole Miss. I think they, they lost every single conference game to start the year until they won, like, one last week. So, yeah, give me give me Ole Miss. Um, and then uh, Stanford, Oregon. I'll go Stanford. Um, Eugene's always a, a tough place to go play in every single sport, but I think the talent description, the discrepancy – um, and I just think Stanford needs to bounce back after a tough loss uh, on Tuesday. So I'll go, I'll go Stanford to win the series. By the way, an update real fast on that Kentucky LSU series. LSU's hit two grand slams in the first two innings. It's 11 to, to one. Brother, that brother, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I was just going across it. I just saw the Steven Soch tweet. I mean, that's, I mean, that's ridiculous. It's 11 to one against the 12th best team in the country, apparently. LSU is so different. We said this about Tennessee last year, too, but this LSU team is so different. Although, those Kentucky all-black unis are fire. I will give them that. For real, I, I do like the black unis on a lot of different Heaters. teams. Um, but Kentucky's doing Heaters. pretty well. I know TCU just rocked the all-black in their, or their win against Abilene Christian in the midweek. But black looks good on a lot of teams, especially when you know they kind of like get rid of the rest of the color kind of stick with the oh, black yeah. or have like a thin like accent color it looks really good how about this but then we'll get into the nfl after this because we're, we're dragging out a little bit but texas tech all black uni so black pants which they, they don't wear any pants other than 
like white, which is lame, I think. They wear a pinstripe and then a right stupid still. What if they did a, an all black uni, red like thin red pinstripe? Could be could be a heater. That, that could be nice, yeah. I'm just saying. Or here's the problem: it, they'd have to they'd have to remove the the large double T chest logo and do something different, which <laughs> Under Armour doesn't do. So another reason to go to Nike or Jordan instead of this lame Under Armour stuff. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, Under Armour specializes in the throwbacks and kind of stuff like that, but aren't really revolutionary with their jersey concepts. So yeah, I think the script get is black. the easy way to make any jersey look good. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah what if they much. did like what if they did like a script but it was like a red like a like a like the scarlet script with like that then like a, maybe like a white outline and the rest of it's black. Either all black yeah. or black with a white with it with the red pinstripe could be a heater. Yeah, that could be nice. I need to see some new concepts because, like you said, they wear black jersey, white pants Friday, red jersey, white pants on Saturday, and then the all white pinstripes on Sunday. Then they have the lame gray unis for the road with gray pants. So those are those are hideous, hideous they by the way. Wear, right. They only wear four jerseys outside of their throwbacks, which they only wear twice a season. So, um, and I definitely could improve in the jersey game. But we'll move on to uh, NFL here. Not too much happened this week, but we did have some news. So, kick it off. Wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. He signed with the Baltimore Ravens on a one-year $15 million deal. It's worth up to $18 mil. mil and he can earn more than $15 million number, which is guaranteed. A few different ways. So, in terms of catches, if he gets 30 catches, 250k. 40 catches, 500k. 50 catches, 750k. 60 catches or more, he gets that million. Or if he leaves the team, he gets the mill. For yardage, 250 yards, 250k. 500 yards, 500k. 750 yards, 750k. 1,000 yards, a mill. Or if he leaves the team, he gets a mill. Touchdown, same deal. Three touchdowns, 250K. Five touchdowns, 500. Seven touchdowns, 750. Nine touchdowns, one mil. Or if he leaves the team, he gets the one mil. Pretty straightforward there. Um, he'll probably end up earning about 17. Try to guess, but nonetheless, it does depend on who we add the rest of the offseason because there's definitely another receiver coming. It's just, is it through a trade or is it through the draft? So, I think it's a good spot for Odell. He had his press conference this morning, and or I guess at noon, and overall pretty good one, pretty lengthy one, about 40 minutes. But a lot of fun. You can tell he wants to be in Baltimore, and it should be fun to see how he plays. Finally, fully healthy. Um, he mentioned that after the first ACL, he was playing without an ACL, and then in week nine of his season with the Rams, he was kind of told that, you know, you should probably undergo more surgery, which would end his season. And obviously, he didn't do that. And he played in the Super Bowl and toured in the Super Bowl. So, didn't really have time to heal from the, you know, his tear when he was in Cleveland. But nonetheless, I think he'll be pretty solid. I'm not expecting him to be anything more than a wide receiver, too. You know, eight, nine hundred yards, maybe. I'm not really having too much expectation for him. I think he'll be good. And obviously, he'll sell tickets. Um, but I just hope he limits the drama off the field and really on the field, too. And he just comes to work and 
does his job because there's a lot of guys in that room that he could mentor and really be a role model to. And he could make this a really good deal or he could make a fool of himself. And I just think, I, th- I think he'll, you know, make the right decisions and stuff on and off the field, but it's just, you never know with a lot of the guys that you know are pretty popular and stuff like that. And if I had to have any kind of prediction, I'd say I'll go 55 catches, 900 yards and seven touchdowns. So not going for a huge prediction. Um, like I said, probably a wide receiver too in most offenses. Um, but yeah, I'm excited about it. I thought it was a little pricey. I wanted to get him kind of in the 12 mil area with maybe upside to 14, 15. So a little more than I expected. But nonetheless, if it keeps Lamar in Baltimore, and I guess it's worth it. It seems like Lamar's going to be in Baltimore for at least this season, but at the same time from Odell's pressers this morning or at noon, it didn't seem like there was any indication that there had any been any kind of traction on that or any progressions since Odell signed. Um, since he signed Lamar to talk to the team or anything like that. Now he did hang with Lamar outside, um, you know, when he signed, but that doesn't really mean too much. So I would think Lamar's back. You just never know until the draft's concluded. I think, I think it's all up in the air until the draft ends, but I'm excited about it. You know, finally have a respectable receiver. Um, nonetheless, I think Rashad Bateman is really good if he didn't get hurt last year, but, um, you know, the wide receiver rooms coming, coming around. Um, and I think it should be a fun season. New offense, new strength coach, so the injuries should be hopefully a little bit less, and some new wide receivers. So a lot to look forward to. It's just all depends on kind of what the deal is with Lamar. Yeah, no, I, I like the deal. Um, ultimately, I, I didn't think he was worth the 15 to 18 million, obviously 15 up to 18. Um, but at the same time, the Ravens were the, the most desperate team in the league to get a receiver. Um, and I think Odell is a receiver, too, that can operate at a receiver one level in the right room. Like, I think when you looked at what he did in Los Angeles with the Rams, he's a wide receiver two caliber player that was operating as a that, like at, at a wide receiver one level at times. Um, just with the personnel that the, the, the Rams had, the offense they ran, um, the way that they utilized him. He's I think he's got to be in the slot at this point in his career, um, which isn't a problem. I don't think for the Ravens. I mean, they've got a Z. Um, you know, in Bateman, and I think that you can kind of move Odell around. Really looking for that big-bodied X receiver, um, a Quentin Johnston, and I guess in the draft of Quentin Johnston, a Cedric Tillman, an A.T. Perry, um, maybe an Xavier Hutchinson out of Iowa State, uh, maybe a little bit later uh, than those two guys. Uh, I guess those three that I listed. Um, but again, just just uh, it's I think it's again it's a good get. Like you said, if, if it helps keep Lamar in Baltimore, you do it. Um, on the Lamar situation, I mean, I think I, I think. I know we didn't get much of the press conference, didn't expect much of the press conference. I do think this signals that they are kind of trending toward keeping him for a year. I don't know what that looks like. Uh, I don't know kind of in what form or fashion we can kind of get into Lamar. I mean, obviously we're, we're almost an hour and 10 in, like we can get into a Lamar discussion maybe next week or the week after, um, you know, maybe if we do like a draft focused cold seat episode before the draft next week, maybe we can fit the Lamar conversation there kind of at a, at a, at a an expanded sp- scope, if you will. Um, but it's, it's obviously plays a factor. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if Odell would have signed with the Ravens for this kind of, you know, for this kind of money, if he didn't think he'd have a quarterback to throw him the ball, that's how I kind of, I view it a little bit. But, um, at the same time, we don't really know. I think if a team comes to the Ravens with an offer, 
on April 26th, they won't turn it down if it's good enough. So I, yeah, I think the commanders being sold today, which is what I'm about to work the next bullet point to get for us to get to is the commanders get sold. You know, I think new as we've seen new teams with no ownership are cash happy and looking to spend and looking to compete. So would not shock me if they that that's the team that made the move. They've got the money to spend for them. They've got the picks they can move. Obviously, everyone's got the picks, the future picks to move. So um, kind of just depends. Um, but yeah, the commanders got sold today. Um, Dan Snyder and his wife Tanya uh, reached a preliminary non-exclusive agreement to sell the commanders to Josh to the Josh Harris Group for 6.05 billion. Um, deal is not signed officially, but it's basically going to go through in the next you know the coming days or weeks. Um, Josh Harris Group. Um, you know, obviously the president of the group is Josh Harris, um, owner of the 76ers and the New Jersey Devils. Um, you know, they, they appears they've won the bidding war. I don't know how many people, how many groups were in on the bidding. Obviously, Bezos was rumored there. Um, sounds like he wanted to wait for kind of a, a more opportunistic oppor- opportunity, opportunity. That was the wrong way to say that. A, a better opportunity or a more opportun- opportunistic uh, franchise to come available, it seems like. Um, I don't I don't know who that's going to be. Um but nonetheless, still kind of gets himself in, you know, uh, team gets sold. Magic Johnson's kind of like the big name in the group here. He's like the PR guy. I don't know what percentage he's in for. I don't think it's a ton. Um, but I know he's in the in the group, going to run PR. Um, obviously, the, the commanders are a PR nightmare. Even now that signer has gone, they've got a lot to clean up within the org. Um, and so I think they're a team that could get in there. But again, for, for Lamar, but again, I'm glad to see him get sold. Glad that Dan Snyder's out of the NFL. Um, obviously, he's not not a great human being, not a great individual. Um, interesting to kind of see where this goes for the team. Obviously, they just changed names and rebranded. Do they, you know, do they move? Obviously, they've got a plot of land. Are they going to build on it? Are they going to move? Are they going to sell it and move? I don't know. So we'll see. Um, but definitely an interesting development there. Um, glad they got sold and kind of finally an end to the saga, if you will, uh, appears to kind of be let it in the tunnel, if you will. Yeah, for sure. Like I said last week, got a lot of family members that are Commanders fans, and they're all excited about this. Um, got new days ahead for the Commanders, and should be fun to see how they kind of revolutionize that fan experience and what is a terrible stadium. If they build a new stadium, kind of just what their outlook and plans are for that franchise. Um, should be exciting to see how that develops and stuff like that, but a couple more moves we have this week. First, the Detroit Lions, they traded the, their 2020 third overall pick, Jeff Okuda, to the Atlanta Falcons for the Falcons' 2023 159th overall pick, which is a fifth rounder. So, you know, obviously a loss, a significant loss in value there to have three seasons from your third overall pick and then trade them for, a, you know, a fifth rounder. But, um, you know, it made sense for both parties. I was thinking the Lions could get a four at least. Maybe a third, but probably a four. But nonetheless, for a fifth, uh, it's a really good deal for Atlanta, who already has Jesse Bates and A.J. Terrell in that defense. So I think this is a really, really good spot for Okuda. I'd be thrilled if I was Okuda. And unless that doesn't rule out them from taking a corner at eight, I don't think. But obviously, they can go a little more BPA and probably receiver, if you had to guess, if they stick and pick at eight. Could go a ton of different directions, but probably receiver makes the most sense currently for them you can always take a corner on day two like i mean yeah big big name guy who struggled early on um does have some bright spots in his career is getting shipped off to atlanta and 
you know what what made sense for both teams. Yeah, um, you know, odd compensation for him. It seems like th- this kind of feels like, and I would text it about man, only a fifth. Like I would have taken the chance for a fourth, and I think a lot of teams would have. I think I think ultimately what comes to play is is the injury history. Um, you know, there's clearly something between the years that has not clicked for for Okuda yet in the league, and um, you know, certainly not for a lack of physical ability. Um, and then, and I think he he may have wanted to be in Atlanta. I don't know what the ties are. I frankly, I personally have not looked into it because I just I have other things I want to do. And looking up what ties Jeff Okuda has to the Falcons is not part of that. But I'm sure we'll get that story eventually. But um, sounds like he may have wanted to be in Atlanta just with the way the compensation broke down. But um, since we're on the draft, I'll skip down a bullet point in our in our docs. Just we're still on the draft. Um, 17 NFL prospects will be attending the draft. I don't know if this list can be amended. Like, I'm sure guys can, like, pull out of it, but I don't know if guys can be like, oh, I want to go now. Like, I don't know if this is, like, a preliminary 17 or if this is, like, this is the list. Um, I think this is the list. Two weeks out seems about right for them to kind of get this down and kind of nail down. But um, 17 guys we got are Jordan Addison, um, receiver out of Southern Cal or USC. Don't know if they're going to – I wonder if they're going to uh, – like, obviously with the portal, all these guys are different. Like, do they announce him from Pitt or do they announce him – I think it'll be – it should be USC, like – Jordan Addison, receiver, Southern California, right. or university, like, or like, you know, or do they like say University of Pittsburgh? Like, I don't know. Um, just, I'm, I'm assuming it's the college you last played for, but I think it's kind of an interesting wrinkle that gets, kind of gets added here with the portal. Um, Will Anderson Jr., uh, Ed Rusher from Alabama, Brian Branch, defensive back from Alabama, Jalen Carter, IDL from Georgia, Zay Flowers, wide receiver from Boston College, Christian Gonzalez, uh, corner from Oregon again, Colorado, played two years there, but probably a duck. Um, Paris Johnson Jr., attacking from Ohio State. Will Love is quarterback from Kentucky. Joey Porter Jr., son of Joey Porter Sr., um, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Steelers legend. Uh, corner from Penn State, though. Anthony Richardson, quarterback from Florida. B. John Robinson, running back from Texas. Jackson Smith and Jigba, receiver from Ohio State. His quarterback, uh, C.J. Stroud, um, going to be there as well. Kind of a surprising name here, Keon White. Um, defensive lineman, uh, kind, of a, kind of a tweener uh, edge uh, IDL guy from Georgia Tech. Uh, Tyree Wilson, edge defender from Texas Tech, uh, our guy. Uh, and then Devon Witherspoon, corner from Illinois, and Bryce Young, quarterback from Alabama. Um, kind of rounding out there with 17. Um, always one guy that's surprising. Keon White is the one that's surprising to me. Haven't done a huge dive on the Keon White tape to see why he's – I mean, obviously he's going to go because he wants to go, but haven't looked into him being a first-rounder yet. I know his name's kind of been mentioned there for a little bit as like a – Big size speed guy, um, but he's 24. Like, homie's old, so we'll see. Um, but nonetheless, uh, yeah, cool to see these guys there. I think for the Chargers, like us specifically, I look at like, you know, Addison, Branch, Flowers, uh, Bijan, JSN, all guys that can be picked for us. Um, and a couple of names that, that, that they've been connected to us that, that aren't there. Obviously, uh, Quentin Johnston, Jalen Hyatt. Um, well, I don't think they're taking in the first round. Um, couple of the, the edge like end. so like no nolan smith what's that i was just saying the tight ends yeah yeah, the, yeah both the tight ends aren't there which is kind of surprising that mayor's not going i figured he would go um okay i mean he's not even that far from where he's, he's from like cincinnati so it's not even that far um yeah both tight ends and then um kalaja canty's not on there uh, lucas van ness both those guys out on there again i don't know if this can be amended like i don't know if like say kalaja canty's like oh i want to go like can he go or like miles murphy or you know, any of these guys, like, I don't know if they can, like, oh, never mind, I want to go. Um, so we'll see. I will say, the last two years, the Chargers have picked players that are attending the draft. First round. 
If this is the list, I hope it's Bijan. But hey, whatever. Yeah, I'm honestly surprised. That's only 17. It feels like in the past years, like 2019, 2020, obviously 2020 not, but you know, before COVID, we had, I feel like, 40 guys that were there in person. Like We had guys like well into the second round that were still there, and it seems like we had every first rounder there, but only 17 guys, obviously only you know basically half the first round will be there. Um, so it's kind of interesting, a few interesting names. Like you said, I mentioned Keon White. And a lot of guys you expected to be there. Should be fun regardless of if you're there in person or, you know, at home with your family or whatever, watch party. Um, yeah. Should be a lot of fun. But the final point we have here, the Tennessee Titans, they extended their star defensive lineman, Jeff Simmons. Gave him a four-year, $94 million contract with $66 million guaranteed, $24 million signing bonus, and it comes out to $23.5 annually in new money. His remaining deal is now five years, just under 105 million. So, big time money for him, about 21 mil, and the new five-year deal annually. Uh, really, really good defensive lineman, probably top three or so um, in terms of like D tackles. Um, but yeah, really big deal. Tennessee giving him money, seemingly nobody else. Um, but it looks like they want to sign another rebuild around him. Get it, man. He he's an awesome player. Um, arguably a top three defensive lineman in the league. I think coming in, obviously the top two, um, in my mind, being Aaron Donald and Chris Jones. Obviously that third spot could be him, Quinn Williams, Dexter Lawrence. A lot of guys in the in contention there, and probably missing a couple as well. But Jeff Simmons is a stud. Um, a guy who frankly never should have made it to the Tennessee Titans or he didn't draft, but kind of some off the question marks got him there. And um, I know Vrabes loves him. I know he kind of been. Kind of was saying he's going to hold out if he didn't, or hold in, I guess. Um, nonetheless, gets the deal done uh, well in advance. And, yeah, the Tennessee Titans are clearly going to kind of center this rebuild, um, or presumed rebuild, around Jeff Simmons defensively um, on a defense that really didn't have a lot of talent. A lot, of, I mean, obviously Kevin Byard's still there, but not a lot of young talent there. Um, you know, Caleb Farley not really worked out as a, as, a, as a top draft pick for them in the first round a couple of years ago, so – kind of looking for them to you know bounce back a little bit defensively. And I think Jeff Simmons is a great start there. But, yeah, that kind of wraps up um, the NFL stuff today. Um, again, not a lot of news this week, a lot of smoke. Um, a lot of teams kind of operating on the DL pretty quietly, trying to get their uh, kind of lock in, get their draft plans figured out, finish up top 30 visits, that kind of stuff. So um, that kind of wraps it up today. we got the ice bath. I'll, I'll jump in real quick on the ice bath and then uh, let you get yours and we'll get out of here. But um, NFL drafts 14 days with, like I mentioned a couple of times today. I'm very excited for draft day. I think our plan right now is um, Brett's going to come over him and him and his girlfriend and then they're going to bring uh, their dog as well. Going to come over to, to my place. Um, my girlfriend offered to make snacks. W. Gotta have it. Um, probably enjoy a couple beers. Um, you know, legal legal drinking, of course. Um, drink responsibly. But no, I'm very excited for draft day. It'll be fun. Um, you know, obviously a lot of anticipation, a lot of build up. Um, but I'll also say it's it's kind of sad the process comes to an end. We've been doing this for, you know, we've been hitting it. The, we hit the ground running pretty hard in January um, when the season's ended for both of our teams. So, um, you know, you're kind of looking here and there in college football. Obviously, you know, the big names um, kind of during the season and kind of you kind of watch the season and go, man, like Christian Gonzalez, this guy's a stuttered Oregon. He's really going to emerge as a top corner or, um, you know, you kind of see guys like Quentin Johnston kind of blip burst some of the scene there. And um, just kind of the, kind of the, the whole process you see. A lot of guys throughout the season kind of make a name for themselves and you get into the whole draft process and you do it for what, basically five months and then poof, it's gone. Like it's done in three days. So 
Um, and you know, these guys like I like I love. There's a lot of projects that I love. Like I love Lucas Van Ness, and I love Drew Sanders, and I love like Terry Wilson's my guy, and you know Brian Branch is a player that I love, and guys like that. And they're not all going to be Chargers. They're not all going to be Ravens for Brett. Like the guys that he loves aren't all. They're not all going to be Ravens. I, I'd love it if the Chargers had 32 first round picks. It'd be so cool, but they don't. Like that's never team. No team ever does. So. Um, you know, like I remember a couple of years ago, like I loved Christian Derisaw coming out of Virginia Tech and goes to the Vikings. And it's like, man, I obviously had an awesome year this year, but it's like, man, 2022, I couldn't tell or I couldn't tell you what Derisaw did as a rookie. I just could like, I didn't even follow him. And so it's hard. I, I want to make a better habit of doing that. Like guys that I really, really enjoyed watching coming out of college. I want to make a point to kind of start watching. Them. I think us documenting this better with the podcast is, is going to be help, helpful to that as well. But um you know, it does kind of suck that all this time goes into it and all this work. Um, and then it kind of comes to an end in three days and you're like, all right, well now I got to, you know, for us, you know, we don't do the draft year round. Like there's some people who's like literally year round, they do the draft. And for us, it's like, man, we focus on the guys that we got, talk ourselves into the, the, the overdrafts that the chargers make eventually, you know, and they pick a player that's on like, you know, 150 on the consensus board, they pick him at 77 JT woods, but whatever. Um, you know, when that happens, you got to talk ourselves into players. So, um, and nonetheless, I'm, I'm very excited. Um, I think this year I'm, I, you know, I'm planning on the all 22 tape that I've got kind of ripping it down and grinding that tape on the guys that we pick, at least in the first couple of rounds. So, um, I'm excited. You know, I think the chargers for the most part kind of nail their first round picks. Usually like historically, they usually nail them. Um, you know, missed on Jerry Tillery, uh, missed on Kenneth Murray, but 2020, they get a pass because that, I mean, that was an Anthony Lynn pick going, looking back and, nailed the Herbert pick and you look back kind of long-term and you'll, they nailed both. So then they nailed Mike Williams. Now they nailed Derwin. They nailed Herbert. They nailed the Slater pick. They nailed, I think they nailed the Zion Johnson pick. We'll see. Um, but nonetheless, I, I'm excited. Um, the bittersweet, I would, I would say bittersweet is the perfect way to characterize it as you kind of, as you end the night on day two, you're like, man, like it's really going to be done tomorrow by like three o'clock with day three. Um, but no, I'm excited. Um, very, 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 very excited. Looking forward to it. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's um, kind of ended out today. Then I don't draft 14 days, and um, actually it's probably it's 13 days and 23 hours now, give or take some change on minutes there. But um, more like 25, you know, more like 14 days in an hour till we pick, but more yeah. or less. No, yeah, I'm really excited. It's a bummer that's gonna be coming to an end, but it's just. I mentioned it last, I can't remember if it was the draft episode or the normal episode last week, but I, mean, I just love news and you get such a huge amount of news in such a short span of time. It's just awesome. It's just nonstop, you know, incoming news. And it's, I love it. It's really exciting to follow along with. Obviously, 31 picks this year, probably in a little bit earlier talked about it a little bit earlier um obviously talking about while it's while it's happening but really excited you know day two is the day for draft people um really really big it starts an hour earlier at six central that's where you know you look at the good teams and they're normally good on day two um i know the ravens haven't been you know day two is kind of where they struggle they do really well in round one and they do really well in round four and five and Obviously, six and seven, I mean, it's subjective. Most pretty much everyone does bad because you're not picking, you know, great guys. But rounds two and three are where teams kind of separate themselves when you think about it. And 
I just love watching a lot of guys that we talk about that could have gone in the first and a lot of guys that should be day three picks all end up going in the same day. So it's a lot of fun. A lot of stuff goes down and day three is just where you're taking your shots at guys that project well, guys that had good careers at small schools, stuff like that, guys that could fit your team, fit needs, kind of fill out the depth. So a lot of stuff that could happen. But one thing I thought about, and I think it applies more to the Chargers and the Ravens is in comparison to last year, the Ravens took the 14th non-QB in the draft. The Chargers took the 17th. Well, this year, the Chargers are also going to take the 17th non-QB in the draft. Assuming assuming Levis goes before him, which I think does. Right. So what I'm thinking is there's always going to be a guy there you didn't think would be there. Always. And like for the Ravens, I think more and more that you know, I, we always come down to these guys that we're kind of set on at whatever pick our team's picking. But at the end of the day, there's going to be a guy there you really wanted that you thought would be gone, and your team has a chance to take him. Now, if they do or not, I guess that would really be crushing if they didn't. Like last year, exactly. I, I, I mean, I thought there was a small chance Kyle Hamilton would be there at 14. But at the end of the day, I thought he'd be gone at like 10 or 11. And he was there, and they took him. He said he was far and away their best player available, and he fit a need. Um, not a huge need, but a need nonetheless. And you just can't pass on a talent like that. So, you know, all teams operate the draft differently, but they all see it as a way to get better. And that's what makes it fun. Um, just drafting with a mix of need and, you know, talent, but really excited to get that going. My eyes path, though, at Texas Football Stadium, Jones ATT, they're going to have new LED lights. I assume they're similar to the baseball ones they just put in last year. Um, with the red uplighting on the pole and then the white, um, hmm. obviously white, should be should be good looking. Um, the way that the way that I saw it described, it was a clip from the the North Carolina State game that that Tech played it away where like the whole stadium was like it's it's all red light, like the entire stadium is red, like it's right. like these like the T's huge. So I that's the way it was described to me, like like that I saw it on Twitter. So I think that'd be really sick. They like read out the whole city and everyone goes crazy. But it should be cool nonetheless. Hopefully it gets used more than the lights at the Texas Tech baseball stadium. Because though we've been waiting on that after a home run for like a year and a half now. Where we've been waiting for that. But yeah, I mean, they, I, they I put the baseball lights in after the 2021 season. Had in the past two years waiting on a light show. Never happened because I know the players talked about it. Had kind of the season kickoff. Um luncheon or whatever you want to call it but i didn't see anything i just got the notification opened it read a few senses of the article and that was that so i didn't see too much on it but really excited for it whatever that means um you know it's an improvement so um should be fun to see how that pans out and what they do with that next up real quick um adley rutschman had a walk-off home run today and the orioles also have the best celebrations in baseball right now um, if they had a sprinkler, if get ahead of myself, if they hit a single, they turn, they make the turning faucet motion to get like the water going. If they had extra base hit, so only a double or triple because Homer is something else. They do like the old school sprinkler dance with like oh, yeah. you know the right. head be- hand behind the head and the arm moving, and all the guys in the dugout spit water up and out of the dugout, and then. For home runs, 
they have a what they they what they want to call a homer hose as most people refer yeah. to it as a dong bong and I mean, that's that's tough that's tough but dong bong is far superior to homer hose <laughs> it definitely is it definitely and for those that for those that can't picture if those that know what a beer bong is it's the same thing they're just calling yeah a, right. a dong bong is definitely a superior name Although it's much less family friendly than Homer right. Hose. I, Although Homer Hose is up. a little suspect. That's a little interesting as well. So I'm not going right. to. They're trying to. It's. it's <laughs> they're trying to emulate. Dong like, Bong is so on much a better. Baseball field, so good. Like, you know, drinking out of a hose at, on like a hot day. And they were all trying to talk about that because obviously they don't want like any bad PR talking about bongs and stuff. But they also call like the some hydration station and. Oh, stuff like man. that so a lot of stuff to it but nonetheless when someone hits a home run they you know go down the dugout and at the end of the dugout one dude's holding the ball up from like the dugout seats that are higher up and pouring water into it, it there's not much to it it's a lot of fun fun team to follow um you know bullpen hasn't been great but other than that they're playing pretty well they're like seven and seven and four something like that right now so not too bad nonetheless exciting for what they have this season but i think that'll pretty much wrap up episode 46 real, today. real quick this does relate to the Orioles celebrations, the Dong Bong, which is what we're going to refer to it as exclusively. Um, S-tier Twitter account is what it dong. I know know you've seen it. It's basically like this guy, an analytics guy on Twitter, he posts like every homer that's hit or every like warning track flyout. It's like, what it dong? Like, would this be a homer at every ballpark? So it's like, you know, Max Max Muncy hits a, like a bomb to left center field against the Giants. Uh, no doubt about that one. It it would dong at every stadium. Like it would be a homer at 30 30 ballparks. Or like, you know, or like this was a this was a, a unicorn. Like this would only been a homer at like at like at Fenway Park or or Yankee Stadium down the line. Like only a homer in right field in in at Yankee Stadium or you know whatever it might be. Um, or like you know if you hit one deep like in you know in like Chase Field with a super deep center fielder like like in Houston like that deep left center corner. It's like would have been a home run in 29 out of 30 ballparks, but not at Minute Maid or whatever it is. So, yeah, what it dong, elite Twitter account. Um, adding some comedy to the game, which I always can appreciate. But dong bong celebration, that's – yeah, that's that, 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 that's that's all time, brother. That, that's that's legit. Sa- savor that one. It's much better, much classier than, like, the pepper cracker the Dodgers were doing last year, which is kind of just like, hey, man, what are we doing over there? Like I don't have a problem with that, but like, hey, this is a supposed to be a family friendly event, guys. We're over here displaying something that's a little, a little questionable along right. the lines of family friendly or not. But the dong bong, listen, that's a little bit college frat bro. It's a young team though, very young team. Gunnar Henderson does strike me as a frat bro. Let's 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 be clear on that. Yeah. Does strike me as that kind of guy, a good time. But listen, the dong bong, like I said, that's all time, brother. That is elite. Savor it because it's probably a one year deal. All these baseball celebrations are always for one year. Savor yeah. it. I hope I hope that if the Orioles if the Orioles if the Dodgers don't win the World Series, I want the Orioles to win on a walk off dong bong homer. That's what I want. That, the, 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 that is the what I want. Stuff like that. Like wa- like like hey man, walk it out like down third base with him. Walk it down and as soon as he touches home plate, like boom, hammer it. Yes, I'm all about it. I love it, but it does a lot of fun. Um, I do like that Twitter account as well. Put it down. Um, you know, a lot of the recent ones with the Orioles moving their left field back wall, left field wall back, it's been all the park except Orioles. So, um, 
yeah, definitely a lot of fun. Um, MLB should be a good season. A lot of teams playing well right now. Obviously, the Tampa Bay Rays are out to a 13-0 start, which ties the record all time to start a season without a loss. See if they break the record tomorrow and go 14-0. Um, I don't know if they will, but we'll see if it happens nonetheless. But that pretty much wraps up episode 46 here today. As we're two weeks out, recording it a day early on Thursday, dropping it on Friday. Um, stay tuned, though. we got Mock Draft Monday 5.0 coming out this Monday. I haven't decided what format we're doing yet, um, so that'll be a surprise, I guess, when we get to it. But we are doing one round, um, so it won't be any other rounds other than the first, the last two. Um, yeah, looking forward to that. Like we said, we talk about the draft a lot. Looking forward to that. And we will see you all next Monday. See you guys soon.